Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi everyone, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast. Lovely to have you with us once again. You are going to love this week's episode. Just a quick one, it makes such a difference to us if you can rate and review the episodes. We've had some lovely comments in over the last few weeks and I'd love it if you could do the same. Um, you can also find us on YouTube as well. Lots of you really like to watch the interviews as well as just listen to them. And I think from my perspective, you get a little bit more out of the guest when you can just see the whites of their eyes or you can see the emotion on their faces as well as hear it in their voice. Um, But this week's episode is really special. Uh, This is what you can expect over the next hour or so. Just because you're successful, it doesn't make every decision you make the right one. We make mistakes. That's what being human beings is all about. It's what you do with those mistakes. It's what you do without regret and those mistakes. That's, That's what causes us to grow. I really can't wait for you to hear this one. And I would like to wish all of you who've been with us, particularly those who tuned in for the very first episode, a happy anniversary. It is one year since we launched the High Performance Podcast. In that time, we've had tens of millions of views on social media. We've had almost 4 million downloads of the podcast. But more than that, we've helped to change people's lives. And I just want to share one comment that came in over the past couple of days. Uh, This came in on Apple Podcasts from Where's Your Pezza? And it was entitled My Therapy. I was recommended this podcast by a friend of mine who'd known of my struggles. He told me to just listen to the Johnny Wilkinson episode. And since then, I've been completely hooked. So much so that I consider listening to you guys as part of my therapy now. There's so much content that resonates with me and has helped me along my journey. Not being afraid to fail, which is something that's always haunted me. Living in the moment, focusing on the process and not the destination, all just unbelievable messages. Don't get me wrong, I don't profess to be fixed or cured, but I know these are lessons I need to keep practicing every day to help me be the best version of myself. For me, for my beautiful family and friends, this podcast genuinely makes a difference to people's lives. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart and commend you and all the guests for talking so openly and honestly. And if anyone says to Damien and I, why do you do that high performance podcast? 
that comment that I've just read out is the answer. So thank you so much for being involved in the story so far. And a big shout out to Lotus Cars because they were there at the beginning. Um, all of the team at Lotus who are without question a high performance brand based in Norfolk building beautiful cars. They all know that they are a genuine part of the high performance family. They were there at the beginning. They backed us when no one else did. And we're so delighted that they're still part of the story. Thanks to you. Thanks to Lotus. Thanks for a wonderful first year of the high performance podcast. And it's now time for this week's episode. You're listening to the High Performance Podcast, the pod that delves into the minds of some of the most successful artists, visionaries, entrepreneurs and sports people on the planet with one aim, to unlock the secrets to their success. The Professor is with me today and Damien, today we celebrate someone who has enjoyed enormous success, but as we're about to hear, not without challenges and tests along the way, which is something we find so often with our guests. Yeah, absolutely, Jake, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Um, I've, I was reminded reading about their biography, that, that famous phrase that, that life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. And I think our guest today has spoken about viewing life through moments, and I'm really intrigued to explore that mindset a little bit more. Well, let's get going then, because today we are in the company of Joe Malone, possibly one of the most famous names in the country. But who is the person behind the name? Well, it's a lady who learned resilience at a young age, achieved every entrepreneur's dream, but then knew she'd made a terrible mistake. She was changed through her own experience with cancer, yet she relentlessly moves forwards. Today, she runs the Joe Loves brand. She's detailed her life in her autobiography, My Story. And today, we want her story to impact your life. So please welcome Joe to the podcast. Joe, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for asking me to come on and share my story and my thoughts. I always... I always feel it's such a privilege to do that. Great, because it is an amazing story. And we will start with the same question that we ask every guest. What, in your mind, is high performance? Uh, well, for me, it's bringing the very best of yourself and perfecting it every single day. So no matter who you are, where you come from, what you do, you can be better every single day um, in your life. And, and I, for me, that is that, that constant uh, pursuit of uh, perfection. You know, resilience is a topic, Joe, that often comes up on this podcast. And I know that you've said that you had to be an adult age 10. It was your responsibility to look in the fridge and see whether there was meals to be cooked. You had to start work because you had no choice, because you had to provide for the family. Those were in many ways the moments that created your own resilience. And what people often ask us is, do you need to go through those moments to build resilience? Or, or is it something that we kind of have within us? I think as a child, I didn't, I didn't choose you know, to be in that position. I didn't choose to to have to think about, you know, where the next meal was coming from, from the age of eight years old. I mean, that wasn't, but I think, I don't think it matters where you come from in life. You can always make the very best of something. And and I think my parents actually did teach me that, you know, whoever you are, whatever you have, you know, make the very best, give your very best to that. And it it's it's an attitude of mind, I think, a lot. But that resilience doesn't always come from standing, you know, frontline in a war it it often comes from that day-to-day -day pursuit every single day and not that not not quit attitude and I think that's where my um because you know bad things happen to good people it's it's a reality and look at the situation that we're in as a world at the moment where um you know bad things are happening every single day to people but so are good things 
And I think it's a mindset. I think it's how you look at resilience. It's how you look at fights that, and that, that sense of, I mean, for me, resilience means don't quit. Resilience is, you know, sometimes we move forward in situations and we walk towards our goal. And sometimes you just have to hold your ground. Resilience isn't always about moving forward and being successful. And I think when I look back at my life, I wouldn't change a thing. Isn't that weird? I really wouldn't change a thing because I, I think I am the person I am today because of all those steps. I might change some of the things I've said to people because I'm quite impulsive, but I wouldn't change my life in it, not even the cancer chapter. And I know that sounds a very strange thing to say, but I learned so much about myself. I learned about life. I learned about love. Um, and I learned about the things I didn't want in my life. So can I ask you then, Joe? I mean, that's quite the statement that even facing something like that cancer diagnosis that you had. Has somebody that has survived it, what did you learn? I learned a lot about Joe. I learned a lot about the the things that I really loved in life. And business, I mean, people people look at my story and they think to themselves, you know, she's a successful businesswoman. But I wasn't that all the way through my life. I built my life and I didn't I didn't um, allow other people's opinions of me to form my dreams and my aspirations. So I remember the night I was diagnosed with cancer and within 48 hours, I was given months to live. And I remember coming home and I was, I was a woman in my, I was 38 years old. I had a little boy who was running around. I had a gorgeous husband that I adored and I just, I felt broken by, by that, you know, I, you know, having your, your life just snatched away in a second. But I remember sitting quietly on my own about an hour later once the tears had stopped. And I remember that that resilience, that fight, that Joe fight that that I know so well, sitting there and, and saying, why, why are you going to listen to somebody telling you how long you've got to live? You've never taken anyone's advice in your life. You've always done what you felt. Where's that fight now? And I felt myself filling with a with a, a sense of I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything I can to survive, and I think that's part of when, when we talk about when you talk about performance, high performance, is that survival instinct in me, and I see it in many others as well. I see that that survival, and I think um, you know, facing cancer, I saw what I really wanted in life, and I saw, and I actually, when it was all over, and I got through the other end, I had a good old spring clean of my life as well. And I thought, I don't want to be around people that drain me. I, I'm, you know, we can't all live our lives with, with perfect people around us. Of course we can't. But there were certain things and situations and people that really drained me. And I didn't want that in my life either. And how much of a challenge, Joe, was it to then hold on to that change of mindset? Because I think sometimes we can go through something as huge as that and be right, I'm now going to be a new person then life carries on and you start a new career or your kids start school. And before you know it, you've forgotten what were those amazing lessons that going through that cancer journey taught me? How do I, how do I not let it slip through my fingers? Um, I did let it slip through my fingers. So that's a really great question. And I'm being really candid and honest. And I did, I did. It's like sand. You know, when we go through situations in our life and we, um, when you pick up wet sand and you hold it in your hand and then as life goes on it starts to dry out and then you open your hand and it's gone and I think wisdom can sometimes be like that but um, not all of it not all of it and I, I think that's a natural that's a natural thing when you face kind of your own mortality 
Um, but I never looked at cancer as the most awful thing that had ever happened to me. I looked at it, and I still do, as a chapter of my life. And I've always had this ability to um, put things in compartments in my head, and cancer was definitely one of those. So it's a chapter in my life to me and the things I learned from it. And I don't think about it anymore. I don't think about the fact that I survived or the fact that I had to fight. Every now and again, it will rear its head and it'll scare me or it'll do something, but it doesn't rule my life. I never let it. And I think, um, you know, not everyone is going to fight cancer, but we all will have challenges in our life. We all will face things where we feel we're standing on the edge of that mountain and we're about to go over. And it's how you survive that. It's how you, and how you allow that experience to not allow you to become bitter and resentful. And I never let cancer take that from me. I never let it take and make me, um, I mean, listen, I, I spent moments where I was very angry and why me, but I never let it stay. I let it, I let it move on. And, um, you know, cancer ha- happened to me and I survived it. And if it happened to me again, I would fight it. But it, it's not the, the whole book of Joe. How much common ground, Joe, that when you're describing that experience of coming home, having received that diagnosis, I, that, there seems some parallels there between what I read you'd said at the age of 11 growing up in Bexley Heath where you remember thinking to yourself, this is not how I want to live. I want a life that's better than this. How many parallels were there between the 11-year-old you and the 37-year-old you with that devastating diagnosis? And the 58-year-old as well. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of parallels. I think that, that sense of... Um, I, do you know what? I, I always think every single day of my life, I get up with enthusiasm and I give everything to that day that I possibly can. And I go to bed at night slightly exhausted but proud. And I think I've lived my life like that all the way through. And I always believed that there is something else out there every single day. And lockdown has really proved that to me, actually. But I remember being in lockdown when I was living in New York and on chemo. And I remember this um, this amazing kind of awareness that there was so much to so much life to live out there. And I wanted to be part of it. And I do want to be part of it. Um, and I just think those parallels, that strength and that... Um, that grit, that like real grit. And you can often see it though, can't you, in entrepreneurs? You often see that real, um, like they, it's not quit attitude. And, you know, life is, and I never felt that I was unworthy, even though I had no education, I hadn't finished school, I didn't have, all, I didn't have, didn't come from a wealthy background, um, you know, all of those things, but I still didn't let that define and dissolve my dreams I'm and I'm a dreamer I am I think that's part of what what makes me who I am I dream big and the bigger you dream the more chances you have of attaining that so where does that come from then Joe because like you say there'll be people listening to this that maybe grew up in similar circumstances that uh, that don't dream so big so what advice would you give for anyone about that capacity to do that? Well, uh, what I would say is it's your responsibility. It's no one else's responsibility to fulfill your dreams but yourself. And at the moment, we're living in, we're living in really um, life, world-changing times where 
every and I think taking that responsibility upon yourself and saying if I want to make this happen I've got to make that that happen with me and I've never felt in my life that it was someone else's responsibility and I I never want someone else to think they can take my dreams and make them their own either do you know what I mean I think everybody is responsible for their own uh, and accountable for who they are and, and what they do I remember this wonderful woman uh, who helped change my life called Anna Albright, and she was a cognitive therapist. And at the time, I was really struggling with my mental health. I mean, that's creativity, uh, negative and positive often goes hand in hand. And I remember her saying to me, and I said, why do I react in in this certain way to a situation? And she said, it's the little girl in you. It's the little girl that knew that it was all up to her to make it happen. And I remember going away and thinking about that. And I didn't look at that with sadness. I looked at that situation with such, that little girl that lived on that council estate and she had to put all the little pieces, no matter what the pieces were, she had to put them together and make something. That's, that's what caused me to be who I am today. So all the things that happen to us in life are often those little pieces that are really important. And what it does is it says that nothing is wasted. And I started to really rethink things in a different fashion. And I think that was a really big breakthrough for me as a person, looking at some of the things that happen to us. They often take us into a different perspective. Um, And again, going back to sort of, you know, hate and bitterness and all the things that, that, that started to push all of that away for me. And I started to see a much more positive um, approach to things, much more wholeness. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense. I think there's a, there's a really interesting phrase that I sometimes use where I say that you can often see the ghost of people's childhoods rattling around their adult bodies. <gasps> oh, I love that. That's so true. Yeah, and, and so I'm interested in terms of what elements of your childhood then would we still see today if we'd have seen the, like the little girl from Bexley Heath and, we, and seeing you today, what are the links that we'd see? Oh, do you know, I've got tears in my eyes thinking about that. What, what, a one, what an amazing question. Um, I don't look at them as ghosts, but I look at them as, I feel, it's so fu- funny, my mum my and my dad and, and my sister have all passed away. But I felt, I felt the presence, um, not, not in a weird way, but I felt the energy of my dad in the last year, actually. He was a big loner. He was a brilliant artist. But that what is still within me is the little girl that did the markets. There's, I'm absolutely, I still feel, um, I love a market anyway. I love, I love the whole thing about, um, you know, shopkeepers and all of that. So I think there's still that, that kid there. I still to this day look to see that there's four meals in, in our fridge. So in case anything happened, I can at least get us through four or five days. I still have that mentality. I have, um, and not wasting things. You know, I hate waste. I hate, uh, although I don't have to worry about an electric bill or a gas bill or anything like that anymore. I still have that real sense that waste is is so wrong in any form. So that's that's the little girl in me. Um, I was never frightened about my lack of education. Everyone else was, but I wasn't. And I think there's still that within me. And I'm never frightened of putting my hand up and saying what does that mean 
I don't understand that. What can you explain that to me? And people find that really strange that um, I would show that vulnerability. But actually, I, I, we're all here to learn, aren't we? We're all here to. And if I don't understand how something works, and I don't understand a word, or just put my hand up, and I think the the little girl uh, in me is um, that's how I learn. I would ask loads and loads and loads and loads of questions, and I would question then the answer. I think that is still in me as well. It's a lovely question. Thank you. I really enjoyed what you said about nothing is wasted, Joe, because it's a reminder to people who might be listening to this podcast and they might be going through a bad time at the moment, whether personally or professionally, or that you can be going through bad times, but it doesn't mean that they're not useful times. Yeah, and they don't last forever. That's what I think we have to tell ourselves right now is this is not going to be forever. And often when you go through challenging times, and it doesn't have to be cancer or a pandemic, it can be you might have lost your job. There's a lot of people out there right now that are struggling and they're struggling because they feel isolated and they feel that their dreams have been taken away and for, for lots and lots of reasons. But what I, what I would say to them is this is not, the place you're standing right now is not forever. This pandemic is not forever. I think the next year will be challenging, but it's not, we're going to start to see ourselves step forward and forward and forward and forward until one day we wake up and we realize, you know what? It's behind us. And I survived that. But it's how you, it's, I think it's really important is how you survive something and how you, you, you realize in yourself that if you start to look laterally in life rather than just focus on one point, it's okay, so I have to stand still at this moment in time. But what can, what can I move forward in my life? What, what are the steps I can take? Because if you move your life laterally forward rather than just from one perspective, you have much more chance of, of feeling happier and feeling more fulfilled. So what are the things you can move forward? And you know what? All of us, all of us will have something that we can move forward. And that one step of positivity makes you start to see the rest in a different perspective. Um, and I enjoy tremendously going and, and sharing um, my life story with people. And I've done it a lot in schools. And I've always, uh, one of the things I always leave them with is never make a life-changing decision on a bad day. And, you know, sometimes on bad days, life gives us the results and we had no control over it. But never make that life-changing decision on a bad day because, the landscape of life will often change very dramatically and you suddenly find yourself standing in, the, in a position and the whole landscape has changed and you think to yourself, if I hadn't made that decision, where would I be today? That's when regret steps in. That's when that's dangerous. That's a dangerous position for me. I know that. When I start to feel regret, I, I, I have to pick myself up really quickly. And you have felt it because yes. you sold your business, Joe Malone. Um, and wonderful, you get a load of money into your bank. Lots of people would think, there you go, that's the entrepreneur's dream. Build a business quickly, sell it for a lot of money. But I've heard you talk about your final day with Joe Malone being yours and you're putting the bottles on the shelf and you're in the shop and you know you've made an horrendous decision. So did you, did you make that decision on a bad day? No, I made that decision on a very good day, and uh, but life turned around and and changed me. We sold our business, so um, both Gary and I are business partners, husband and wife, best friends, business partners. That's and, an achievement um, in itself, by the way. <laughs> on my part, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> definitely on his. Um, and I think that um, when we sold our business, we we had this we had this wonderful little gem of a British business, but she was growing. Jane Malone London, Cream and Black Box, was growing so rapidly. And we were just running out of money. It was, it was, we owned 100% equity of that company. And we were running out of it. So every time you went into a new territory. So I think Gary and I both knew that we either had to borrow money, we had to partner with somebody, or we had to be, we, we needed deep pockets we needed people that understood distribution and we needed someone that loved the industry. And when Estee Lauder, you know, came into our lives um, on that, at that moment, and it took a good, took a good 18 months of courting backwards and forwards and meetings. But when they actually made the offer, it was, and I don't regret that decision. I don't regret selling to them at, at all in any way, shape or form. And you know, for the first couple of years, it was a dream come true. We were two kids who had had nothing sleeping on a piece of blue foam from home base as our bed. And suddenly there we were probably secure for the rest of our lives. And, um, but halfway into that, uh, that kind of first five years, that's when I was diagnosed with cancer. And, I took a year out and I fought it. And when I came back, my mindset was in, uh, I was standing in a very, very different position. I had no sense of smell because of the chemo. And I thought that was never going to come back. I was wrong, very, very wrong there. I, um, I, I'd lost my confidence. Of course I had, you know, half my body was missing. My hair was gone. I was, I was in a very different place and uh, I'd lost who Joe was. I was wrong there. Joe was still there. And I just didn't feel, I didn't feel we were part of something anymore. And I probably was right there. That's a, you know, that's a, a sort of um, honesty. I think, you know, understandably, the business had moved on. So when I made that call to leave it and walk away, I, I made it with a very logical head. And, um, but I knew that my life was, I could feel my life changing, but I remember that last day, and that's what you're referring to, when I turned the key, I asked to be the last person to turn the key in the door, and I put the bottles on the shelf for the last time, and it, and it suddenly occurred to me that I'd sold a business, I was leaving a business, but in fact, that business was my best friend, and it was the thing that brought me alive, creating fragrance was the thing, and it suddenly all dawned on me, and that's the bit that I regretted oh, my God, what am I going to do tomorrow? And, and for a bit, you know what? I we, wonder why we, you didn't see that sooner, though, Joe. <laughs> because we're people, you know, you know, this whole thing. Just because you're successful, it doesn't make every decision you make the right one. We make mistakes. That's what being human beings is all about. It's what you do with those mistakes. It's what you do without regret and those mistakes. That's, that's what causes us to grow. Um, why did, hadn't it dawned on me before? Do you know what? I, I can't answer that. I don't know. I really don't know. But the minute I walked down that street, oh boy, that's when it hit me. That regrets, that spiraling, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do for the rest of my life? And we had a, a five-year lockout, rightly so. We'd been paid a lot of money. And, you know, for the first couple of months, we traveled. We did um, some amazing things. But I could be sitting in in the most beautiful place on the face of this earth. And I could feel this heaviness of, of um, sadness. 
it, I just couldn't get out of it. And I, I kept wanting to dream. I would capture my thoughts and my dreams and say to myself, Joe, they're not yours anymore. You have to let them go. And I couldn't, I just couldn't let go of that, of that entrepreneurial. Do you know what? I don't think I've ever done an interview like this, by the way, where I had where spoken in such depth about my emotions of, of what I felt. Um, thank you. Thank you, sir. Are you all right with it? Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. It's, it's, uh, because I know people will identify. Absolutely. I, I think it's important, Joe, to remember that people just see, um, well, you're, you're an expert at this. They see the perception because you created an amazing brand of Joe Malone. They see the brand. They see the success. They see the nice smells. Behind everyone we speak to on this podcast who've achieved amazing things, they've had to go to dark places mm. t- to get those mm. moments. Yeah. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Joe, I think your answer intrigues me in terms of that during that five-year lockout that you were in where there's research on this where uh, they've, uh, they've done it with lottery winners where they found that when somebody wins the lottery their, their happiness will spike massively for the first couple of months and then it will go back to the level it was beforehand. So if you were miserable, you're just a more wealthy, miserable person <laughs> having won oh, the lottery. I- but, I don't think I'm that, though. <laughs> no, 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 sorry. I'm, I, 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 <laughs> my implication wasn't around you, but I'm saying about you've had what many people would describe as this ideal scenario of you yeah. found yourself fabulously wealthy, you've got time, wealth and resources to be able to enjoy it, and yet you describe that mm. sense of sadness. So how important is having that sense of purpose running through your life to be able to give you that drive, that enthusiasm daily? I don't think I'm governed by money. I think that's, uh, I never have been. Uh, Money to me is uh, choice. That's all. It doesn't mean, for me, 
money doesn't equal happiness. It, it, it gives me freedom and it gives me the power to choose. And that power of choice is where the happiness comes from. Maybe that's, you know, that's why I felt what I did. And that sense of purpose. And I just, one of the things I love more than anything is to build. It doesn't matter what I'm doing, building, learning every day, learning from people, learning from experiences, learning from life, and then taking that and then physically putting some, it's that little girl taking the pieces again of the puzzle and, and making something. So I think that's what brings me purpose. And the reason I spiraled in those five years, by the way, my husband flourished. He learned to play the guitar and he kept saying, enjoy it. And why do you think he had a different approach to it? What do you think was the fundamental difference between yourself and Gary? Lovely Gary. Um, he and I are such different characters. I think that's a huge part of um, what's made us successful as a, as a team, but uh, as a marriage as well, because I think if, if the two of us were like me, my goodness, there'd be absolute fireworks. Um, so I think it's a good, really, really good balance. Um, but those five years, yeah, were, were not my happiest at all. And I found those five years harder than fighting for my life in cancer. Because it, with cancer, I had a plan. I knew what I was heading towards. And every day I'd walk towards it. I just suddenly had this five-year void. Um, and I've heard many entrepreneurs. I, I think what's interesting about this is, um, you know, entrepreneurs many, many years ago would build their businesses and hand them as their legacy to the next generation. That doesn't happen anymore. People, young people uh, and younger entrepreneurs are building their business, selling their first one, having their period of lockout or whatever that is, and then they get this hunger, that hunger again. Why? Because they've tasted, they've tasted the honey of global building. And once you've tasted that, you yearn for that, for that taste again. And, I, and you can see it time and time and time again happening. And each business they build has a different dimension, but they get stronger and stronger as an entrepreneur. And we, we need that spirit. Um, and I think that's probably what happened to me. You know, now building a second brand of Joe Loves was much, much harder, much more difficult, much more challenging than they, and I made a hundred times more mistakes in the second one than the first. We lost a lot of money trying to build that in the beginning. And I think a lot of it was naivety, expectancy, uh, you know, pe expecting people to know that I'd left and they hadn't. And I, I, that's, that's the minute where I started to get very disillusioned and think to myself, what have I done? You know, I had, uh, you know, I was living this wonderful life and I put myself back in the arena to build again because of that desire to create and it's not working and it wasn't working in the first couple of years and we had to keep on and on and on and that's where the resilience comes back in and and that sense of performance of no don't you can't quit you've just got to keep walking you've got to keep moving um and I think building Joe Loves I really found I really found the diamond within me during that time um and and that that sense of purpose and understanding the importance you know before when we built Joe Malone there was no strategy I've got to be honest there really wasn't and I thought naively that I could jump straight back in and not replicate a business but walk in the footsteps of building as I had before and I couldn't the world had changed I had changed 
and everyone had caught up and, and we were in a very, very different marketplace. And um, I had to go back and rethink, okay, who are we? What are we about? And it took a good couple of years for that to really start to, I mean, now when I look at, when I look at where we are today um, and I look back and I think there were so many points along the line that I could have walked away. But as a founder, you don't have that luxury. Everybody else can, but you can't. What are you going to do? Walk away and everybody loses their jobs and there's no business. You have to stick it out. And that, that is the downside of being a founder. You can't quit. You can't walk away. That's not an option for you. But the upside is, is the passion, is the thrill. And when we speak to people on this pod, Joe, almost entrepreneurs, almost every time they will say to us, one of their tips for life is to follow your passion. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about. You know, you walked mm. away with an inordinate sum of money, but the passion had gone and you realised passion is a hell of a lot more valuable than money in the bank. Well, uh, I would say, I, I mean, listen, I, as I said, I don't regret that decision of selling, not at all. And I will probably build another business and sell it again one day. Um, but I know this time I won't ever walk away. That's the difference. I've learned I've learned really about myself. And, and it's really funny through lockdown and being in four walls, I've probably been the most creative I have ever been in my life. My mind thinks in a completely different fashion. Than it ever has. In what in what respect? I creatively, I'm. Um, it's funny. I watched a movie the other day called Queen's Gambit. Have you watched it? Yeah. About a, a, a young yes a chess player. Yeah. Yeah, and um, it was it was a. I mean, we we loved it. It was it was so interesting. But there's a moment. Um, not that I have ever taken a tranquilizer, but she takes a tranquilizer, doesn't she? When she's and she looks up on the ceiling and she can see a chessboard and she she can make the moves um it's a fascinating and I thought as I was watching that I was thinking oh my god that's what happens to me that's how I look at business and I'd never seen or even heard about anyone doing that and I go into I, I don't need anything to get me there but I, as I as I take my imagination and this year that is exactly what's happened I've seen life and business like a chessboard and I'm starting to move strategically. And it was when I watched that movie the other day, it brought it home to me. My God, that's what I'm doing. That's exactly what I'm doing. See, no word of a lie, Joe, that I was, I, I was watching that while I was doing the research knowing we were going to speak to you. And I had a very similar thought about it because I'd read about you, um, the story when you were creating fragrances and when Estee Lauder came in, they were asking you for the formula. And you were like, I don't have a formula, it's an instinct. And there's that scene in the show where... Uh, where the young girl's mother says to her, you play at your best when you play via instinct, which is what made me think of that. There's also been some occasions where you've ignored that instinct, you know, such as when you launched uh, uh, Pamelo with the new business or, or things like that. How do you guard against that now, of, uh, ignoring that instinctive voice? I don't ignore it. I don't. And sometimes that instinct is uncomfortable for others and that instinct is not right and doesn't fit into a nice neat little strategy and that instinct uh it makes me walk a very lonely path actually in in all honesty but that instinct i trust it's that gut um i've trusted it all through my life and you know sometimes things can look all good on paper and they it's all set and it's all ready to go just like the pomelo was 
And we produced those first bottles. And I remember walking up that beach thinking, this fragrance is not right. And if I launch this fragrance, the very first one, and it's not a million percent right, because for me, 100% isn't good enough. It has to be a million percent every time I create something. Then I've done myself, I'm never, ever going to survive this again. I'll never build a global brand. Because do you know what? The consumer can see through integrity integrity and truthfulness and real even though sometimes it's damn uncomfortable and I had to go back to my husband who and at that point we put a lot of money into something and say those hundred thousand bottles we can't use and I promise you that was out of all the years we've been married that was the nearest we came <laughs> to to a Dolly Parton moment um without without a doubt and I held on to that and of course that that makes it you know, that integrity I'm talking about and that instinct, um, we need that more than ever right now because that instinct is the key that unlocks you, you inspiration, innovation and dreaming. You know, that instinct of want, of yearning and, and finding yourself sort of just drawn into um, using your imagination. And so that instinct for me is, and sometimes, sometimes, I get it really wrong. I get it really, really, really wrong. And those, those really wrong moments can um, really affect me and, and the situation that I'm in. But then I've got to pick myself up, dust myself off, pick myself up and, and get on again. Um, when you're being creative, Joe, do you then have to become comfy with being uncomfy? Yes, but uncomfy is very comfortable for me. <laughs> really? Can you explain um, that? I, I don't mind uncomfortable situations um, and unco- when you're true to who you are. And I won't, I think as I've got older, I won't be pushed into positions of saying and doing something just because everybody else thinks it's the right thing to do. You have to be accountable. That's, you know, in the beginning of, of this podcast, I talked about being true to yourself and being accountable and it's your responsibility. And so sometimes that instinct, you know, is uncomfortable, but actually I think having dyslexia probably and coming from where being uncomfortable is a very normal to me. So when I'm in situations where everything is just perfect, that unnerves me. It's like I have to always, I have to look for the way out. Does that make any sense? Like if you're, I can't think of a situation right now, but um I think that that uncomfortableness in business and in life is good for us because it causes us to challenge things in ourselves and and the world that we live in. And um, I'm just not, I'm I'm never frightened of being uncomfortable in creativity. So I'm never frightened of being the one person in a meeting that will say, I'm really sorry, I don't think that's quite right. Can we think of it another way? It's probably also where the good stuff is, isn't it? Because if everyone's going down the path of least resistance as we call it or everyone's acting in a comfortable way you're you're all going to end up in the same place you need to be the one over there even if you know it's going to send you someone that's not comfortable I think if you're trying to um you know we've all met people who they ask questions just to make themselves look bigger and other people uncomfortable that is not what I'm about and that is not the company I want and that's not the sort of people I want to stand near um that isn't what it's about but but staying true to that, that voice of creativity. And when I said, you know, creating, um, but, and it's not just about creating fragrance, but the, the business strategy in my head, it is my best friend. I hear 
um, I feel kind of business and I feel the creativity and I, and I see the product long before anyone. I'm, I'm at the destination of an idea and I'm ready to sell it. And as Gary says to me, Joe, you've got to be patient. Everyone else is, is trying to keep up with you. And I sometimes get frustrated when people can't keep up because it's like, come on, come on. You know, I, I, we need to be there. We need to be the first person at that destination. So my mind travels so fast and so quickly that my problem is I want, I want to be there quicker than sometimes is humanly possible. And as I've got older, I've realized that's not good for other people to do that. So can I ask you then, Joe, how do you recruit people into your world that can help and facilitate you do that? Because to me, it seems that your name's above the door. So, so there's the danger that people come into your world and just aim to please you rather than to challenge you or make you uncomfortable. So how do you deliberately go about avoiding that? I don't mind people making me feel uncomfortable. I actually learn more from, um, you know, those challenges. I mean, I don't know everything. And, I mean, Gary lets me know that every day, that he, um, I learn a lot from him and his, his leadership. I would say I'm not a great leader. I really, I have a small team and I like it that way, but I'm not. Um, he, my, but I've chosen a team that are great leaders. And I think because I, if I try to be the best that I am, I need to stay in the arena where, where I can be most productive. And that's not actually leading a company and being the GM or the CEO or the head of a department. So my team is very tiny um, and I like it that way. And those people that I work alongside are um, like my head of uh, MPD. She moves faster than I do, much faster than I do. And I love that. And I find myself sometimes running to keep up with her. Um, my GM is this amazing, amazing woman. And she has this unbelievable lateral way of leading. So when she moves forward, everyone else does too. I don't have that ability. I don't know how to do that. But I've chosen great people to be in those positions in order for us to move as, as a business. And our turning point has been... Um, We've we've really we reached a crossroads, and we've now moved into a, you know such a productive um, and viable uh, chapter of our of our history. And Joe loves because of a great team of people. Um, and and I you know I'm not going to sit here sit here and take all the credit for that because it's that's that's not right. And where does hard work fit into your values? It's number one, number two, number three. Everything you do, is it? do it, do it, sweat. Get, it's like exercise, you know. Um, it, you get out of life what you put into it. And hard work is um, when there's not enough work, you know what, that's when the trouble happens. Because if you work hard at something and you pour yourself in, you haven't got time for all the other things that seep in. And again, I think this is why lockdown has been so uh, polarizing for business and people is there's been a lot of time to think um, <laughs> we just had a lot of time to think and that hard work is is not part of our day-to-day world and that's when you start to go into other places that's where trouble often lurks um but if you're you've all got your your strategy you've got your your goals 
and you head towards them, that's normally a good, healthy attitude for a team. But hard work for me, if I get, if I get to the end of the day and um, there's nothing to do, like today, I need at least 20 things every, every day to do. I make a list every single day and uh, the top 10 things have to be done. I'm very focused. Um, and I like to feel at six o'clock in the evening when I pour myself a glass of wine, I like to think so, that's a good day. You know, I worked hard. I'm ready to enjoy the evening and switch off. But, you know, tomorrow I get up with the same enthusiasm. I mean, this morning I was up at six and thinking about this podcast, you know, whatever I do, I want to bring 100%, a million percent of myself to it. So I was going to take you back to a comment you made at the start of the podcast, Joe, which is you spoke about being very good at compartmentalising moments in uh, in your life so when you're talking about hard work I can see the obvious virtues on that but would you tell us a bit more about what that means to compartmentalize and the benefits that come from it I think having dyslexia again is about that I always do the things on my list first that I don't want to do because otherwise they're always in the back of your mind and it actually draws away the energy the, the positive things you need to so I will often deal with the things I don't want to first of all um, I kind of, and if I don't want to be near something or in a situation where I feel uncomfortable, being able to put it into a box and pack it somewhere and not think about it. So I'll retreat um, and retreat is part of my protection um, and part of my, my ability then to focus on something that is positive that I can build. So it's, I look at it as lots of little boxes and actually, when I wrote my book, I had a ghostwriter called Steve Dennis because um, I, I couldn't, with dyslexia, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And he was so great at getting me to unpack the boxes in my life. And actually, we all do it. We all have the ability to park memories and things. But memories don't come out. When you're talking about your life, they don't come out in the order that they happened. They come at random because you trigger something and suddenly you think, oh my God, I can remember when I was at school and I'm able to, to take myself to that point and visualize and I can close my eyes. I can see what I was wearing, what I was feeling, what I was thinking. Um, but I can't stay in that moment. So I, actually putting it back in a box and packing it away is, is a way of me um, surviving, I suppose, mentally. And I think entrepreneurs often, um, when you talk about, when you're building and it comes from a dark place is they've been able to take that moment and use it in a positive way, but then they don't need that, the, um, the memory of that pulling them down. Does that, does that make any sense? Is it getting yourself into a place, Joe, where failure or struggle isn't the opposite of being successful? It's, it's part of the journey to getting there. I'm not frightened of failure. I don't like it, but I'm not frightened of it. And it, some it's a bit like anxiety you know failure always always wants to look at it whatever you're doing that voice of what happens what happens if no one buys your product what happens if no one really cares what happens if, so it's always there but i i don't i don't allow that sense of feeling because i think if i fail i'll pick myself up and i'll do something else i'm not going to sit there and allow that fear because often that fear of failure means that you never get up, get up and do anything. Um, you know, we'd never have, we'd never have half the genius people. We, we wouldn't have a vaccine right now 
on, on our doorstep if it hadn't if it if everyone was frightened of failure because in order to get through this and find a solution there's hundreds of millions of steps of failure but you're waiting for that one bit of success and that's when you're ready um <coughs> excuse me that's when you're ready to run with it and i think uh, i've been saying to my team for a long time um at the beginning of this pandemic i said tell stories of life this brand is about storytelling tell stories tell stories tell stories and let's walk people through you know you know this time because when this time is over people are going to want to live life like we have never seen before be ready get ready and if you spent this whole period of lockdown just sitting there waiting for it to be over and doing nothing you're going to be left behind so you have to pick up and you have to be ready to run the minute that gate lifts we're ready. We've got our, our running shoes. We're all Jesse Owens in our, we're all ready to run. We practiced, we've practiced what it feels like to be successful, even if we haven't tasted it. What a lovely, uplifting, positive way to, uh, to end the conversation, Joe. But before we let you go, um, we have our quickfire questions for you. The three non-negotiables that the people around you have to buy into. Um... Loyalty, um, a love of life, and um, a respect of imagination. What advice would you give a young Joe just starting out? I would say to her, whole, <laughs> I've actually written a letter to myself um, when I was uh, from now when I when I was the young girl starting out. I would say, um, don't be in such a hurry to move on from things in life sit back a little bit and enjoy it because you will reach your destination and your dreams beautiful and um how important is legacy to you joe legacy doesn't mean bricks and mortar to me and, and physical things legacy is i want to leave this life and find um and to have touched people's lives and um to have left goodness to to, to left a lasting imprint on everything that I'm about, which is building, creating wholeness, kindness, goodness. And finally, Joe, what's your one golden rule for living a high-performance life? Uh, I think for man to discover new oceans, he must first have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. Oh, I love it. I'm writing that one down. Thank you so, so much. What a one! I've never had an interview in my life like that, ever. Really? No, I never have. It's always... It's always about not making ginger or something. That was just so lovely to be able to share. I feel like I've shared part of my soul, actually. Mm. So thank you. Well, I feel, I, we oh, feel well, the same. You. And I think for people listening to this, you know, whether it's you with that beautiful analogy of when you learn something new, it's like wet sand and if it slowly dries and slips through your fingers, it's gone. Whether it's understanding that bad stuff can be really useful stuff, that nothing is wasted in life and that, what was it you said, instinct is the key that unlocks innovation. Honestly, Joe, for people listening to this, whether they are entrepreneurs or struggling with life or whether things are good for them, that is a really special 45 minutes for them. Oh, well, thank you. Isn't that strange, though? We both saw that that, um, Queen's Gambit. That really struck me. That was powerful. Yeah, well, I was doing research on it and we were watching it on Saturday night and I said to my wife, I said, that reminds me of Joe, that moment. It was that conversation where... Uh, 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 she's in Mexico I think and her mum says to her everyone says that you're best when you play instinctively because <laughs> she's coming up against the Russians and I went that reminds me of what I've been reading about today so yeah 
Yeah. Oh, so amazing. That really is wonderful. And uh, so thank you. You've made my day really special today. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, thank Joe, you, Joe, thank you for sharing. <laughs> All right. Take Lots care, guys. Damien. Jake. Here we go then. Another person who's achieved great things and we managed to spend 45 minutes talking about the struggles and the challenges and the mindsets. And the... I just want people to listen to that episode and many others and realise two things. Number one, it's not easy for anyone. Number two, it is there for you if you want to go and get it. Yeah, definitely. And I think I love the origin stories of people like Joe that we've been fortunate enough to interview. You know, growing up on a council estate, having parents that weren't able to provide, having to be responsible, uh, setting up her own business despite having no qualifications and being uh, categorised as dyslexic. There's just so many challenges that uh, she's able to reflect on and take from take from those challenges characteristics and tools that she's been able to turn to her advantage. I think it's, I think it's humbling to listen to, but really, really quite moving. And I, I love the fact that she, you know, she mentioned a couple of times that she's not done an interview like that before. And to me, that's what sums this podcast up. It's about asking people genuine questions that can impact the lives of others. And I, I hope that Joe's done that today. Yeah. And again, it goes back to, one of the big themes that's come out of the series we've done so far, Jake, has been this idea that it's not about the outcome, it's about the journey to get there. It's not about being blinded by the bling and the money and the fame and the success and the trophies won. It's about the struggle, it's about the sacrifice, it's about the um, the daily toil to be better today than you were yesterday. And I think Joe was a perfect uh, embodiment of that. And you made her emotional, Damien. <laughs> Make, uh, <laughs> I've made lots of people emotional, but it tends to be a more negative emotion. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a positive one on this occasion, mate. So, um, again, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for doing it. No, thanks for having me along, Jake. I love it. Well, Damien, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary, Jake. It's brilliant, isn't it? A real milestone, it feels like. I feel like I've known you for more than a year. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. (laughs) Yeah. Feels like a slog. Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, at times. What is for you, when you think about, not why you got involved, but now when you're able to reflect on the first year? Because you put up a lovely quote the other day. I always always talk about your Instagram quotes you put up on here. You put up a lovely one, which was... um, experience is the hardest kind of teacher it gives you the test first and the lesson afterwards so having had a whole year of the high performance podcast what has been the lesson for you what has been the learning it's been so many to be honest jake i think i'd say there's three highlights that i've taken from it one is the chance to work with you and uh, and the wider team like will and finn and hannah that have been behind this so just a chance to be part of a team like that where everybody gets a chance to contribute has been incredible Uh, Another one has been just the amazing lessons that we've learned from so many of our guests that have been so kind and humble and sharing. And then the final one is the ability to share it with others. And then the feedback that you shared at the start of the podcast, the people that are listening to it with an open mind and taking lessons that they're applying in their own lives and with their own families and their own careers just gives me a real, a real buzz. I think it's really gratifying that, that, that people are listening and applying it. And I remember thinking in my head, God, it would be so great to have these kinds of conversations with people. And I'm talking even, you know, even before you and I spoke about doing this together, I remember thinking, man, that would be good. But I wonder whether people will come on the journey. And 
the thing that's filled me with the greatest joy and we find this don't we with pretty much every episode we record the first 15 or 20 minutes is the usual cliched answers given to every interview that anyone's ever done and after that we get the kind of stuff that we're here for and um i don't know how or why it happens i wonder whether it's a trust thing i wonder whether it's because the guests have listened to the podcast from before whether they realize this isn't about being caught out or whether they just realize the power of being vulnerable and and sharing and helping others yeah i think it's all of those but i think um that first point that you made is the most powerful in any relationship is trust i think when we first started the series we called on people that we had a relationship of trust with outside of the podcast so they were prepared to come along and do it and i think the snowball effect of other people then that maybe we don't know have been able to hear and see that our intent is quite pure in this have been then come along and been prepared to be really generous and open but it's a different level of conversation like you say than what traditionally we're used to hearing from our high performers we see to use your analogy the tip of the iceberg so often and I think what we're doing is going underneath it and seeing the depth and the structure and the struggles that everybody has to go through and I think there's a there's a fair level of bravery as well from the people that come on the podcast and talk in that way. You know, you know, Casper Schmeichel coming on here and being vulnerable is not the sort of thing that footballers do very often. I love doing it and I love having these conversations. It's been interesting for me, though, the criticism. And a lot of it comes from f- fellow football journalists. So I think, look at me and think, why is he having conversations like this? But I almost think that makes it more important that... You wouldn't think that someone that does my job would also have these kinds of conversations. But that is the very essence of what this podcast is about. You don't know people. You don't know their journeys. You don't know their struggles. We all just need to be more tolerant and allow people to be absolutely authentic versions of themselves, you know? Yeah, definitely. I can't remember who it was that we spoke to on this who said that you don't take criticism from anybody that you wouldn't take advice from. And I think that there's lots of people out there that can make judgments and that can fire shots and snipe at it. But if you ask them for their advice on what you could do more constructively, it isn't as readily forthcoming. And I think that our intent behind this, as we've said all along, is we're in it for the outcome, not the income. We're not trying to make a profit. We're not trying to make a quick headline, a quick book on this. This is about sharing insights that people can take away and apply. And I think that that's what our guests have been good enough to to plug into and then come along and share with it. And that's where the real value of this comes from. You know, my worst question, people go, what's been your favourite moment? And I literally find myself running through like every episode we've done. Um, there's a load of questions have come in this week as usual. And thank you again to everyone for getting in touch with Damien and myself. Bully said, and this relates so well to what we just spoke about, should you care what others think? Um, is that a skill that relates to a high performance mindset? What's your what's your opinion about caring what other people think? It's a brilliant question. Um, I think you should care about what certain people think. I think Casper Schmeichel, who we referenced earlier, gave a great answer to this where he described his committee of six people that are entitled to share their opinions because he knows that they care and anything that they offer comes from a place of love and concern and uh, wanting to improve it. So I think when you have that list of six people... Um, their opinion counts. I think anybody outside of that, there's, de- uh, there's varying degrees then of how seriously you take the comments. And I would also say to Bully that the only person whose opinion really matters is yourself. You know, we've said on this podcast on many occasions, who's the person you speak to more than anybody else in your life? And the answer is you, that little voice in your head. And I think sometimes 
you've got to be careful you don't trick yourself into thinking, well, everyone thinks I'm a great person, so I must be. Only you know your intentions. Only you know the real true value of your actions. Only you know whether you're genuinely sacrificing something. And it's amazing how often other people will try and second guess someone's intentions or they'll say, oh, well, you intimated this or you were trying to say this rather than actually accepting what someone says. And I think, you know, don't you? You know your actions, you know your behaviours, you know your values. And that is the key thing, just to believe that you're doing the right thing. Even if some people think that you're a great person, you know if you're not. Equally, people might think you're not a great person. You know you know that you are. I think the other important element here, Damien, is, is that if you worry about simply what other people think, you're actually concerning yourself with the outcome. A, you're concerning yourself with the outcome. B, you're concerning yourself with something that you may well never be able to control. And if people want to create a fictional version of you in their own heads for some strange reason that they're doing it, then you have to allow them to do it. And there's very little you can do about that anyway. Yeah, exactly. There's a great line, Jake, that says that your opinion of me is none of my business. And it isn't, you know, how people want to perceive us is entirely up to themselves. But that's not something that we can influence or or should we seek to influence or care about it either? The only question we need to ask ourselves is, are we doing the best we can with the tools we've got at the time we're in? And if we can answer yes to that question, that's success. There's a brilliant um, poem that I'd love Bully and anyone else listening to this to find on YouTube. Have you have you heard it, Damien, about the man in the glass? Oh yeah, the Dale Wimbro poem. Yeah, it's fabulous. There's a coach um, I've, I'm friends with, a phenomenal man called Bill Sweetenham, an Australian swimming coach, and uh, Bill gets all his athletes to listen to that poem uh, regularly at the end of training. Uh, it'll encourage them to listen to it and answer the questions that the poem poses to you. I think it's brilliant, Damien. Written a long time ago as well, 1934. Was it? Wow, I didn't realise it was that old. For those people that don't know the poem, I'll just read the final verse. It says, You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be the heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass brilliant gives me goosebumps man when i read it (laughs) but that's what it's about bully everyone take a look in the mirror if that person looks back at you and thinks you're you're doing your best which is all you can do and you're doing it with the right intentions then then you're on the right path thanks very much to zachary as well from australia uh hi jake and damien loving the podcast over here in australia uh the way you probe with relevant deep questions that make the guests think is second to none i love that damien man i'm sitting in a little office in norwich you're somewhere outside Manchester in a palatial mansion. Uh, and there's someone in Australia listening into what we're talking about. It's, a, it's crazy, man. But that's, I love the global impact of podcasts. That's the thing for me that I can't believe, you know. Yeah, and I think anyone that comes to this, they make a very deliberate commitment, don't they, that they're going to invest an hour of their time. And that's not something that we take lightly or that they should either. And if they're going to do that, I, I get so much of a buzz that people then walk away from it thinking that was an hour well spent and you know what I've listened back to last week's episode with OCU Manure on a couple of occasions this week and it gets more important to me every time I listen when he talks about the role of luck in his in his life success story because that is not something that we have heard very often no it's not but it is at the heart of all like the one that we do hear often is humility and I think when you're humble you can accept that certain occasions you just landed on your feet you don't believe that you've got superpowers I think humility comes from recognizing that sometimes we all get lucky absolutely and it's a it's an important thing to remember and 
to remind ourselves it's not about us really it's about the people around us doing the right things by us and for us we all kind of exist together don't we yeah um a year wow tell you what i'm gonna buy you uh, a nice bottle of pinot grigio from my local petrol station <laughs> when when we hit our 10th anniversary so <laughs> hang in there for another <laughs> nine years and you'll get a lovely little gift um but uh, no i honestly can't thank you enough damien for everything you've done over the past year on this podcast and um i'm sure the future is an exciting one yeah thank you i've loved it i've loved being a part of it i've loved uh working with the team as well and i've loved the impact that we're hearing that we make so I, it's, the pleasure is all mine thank you good man um as always a really big thanks to hannah and to will um to finn ryan at rethink audio and all the other people at rethink audio that have helped us over the past 12 months thanks of course to lotus cars they were there at the very beginning 12 months ago and they remain by our sides as well thanks as well to give me sports and for more sports related podcasts clips and articles you can head over to give me sports our exclusive sports partner for the high performance podcast find them at givemesport.com forward slash podcast but most of all thanks to you thanks for listening thanks for sharing thanks for talking about it on your social media thanks for sharing it to people who you you think are struggling thanks for rating and reviewing and subscribing on our youtube channel and just helping us to create this high performance community because there's nothing bad that can come out of a podcast like this and the many many comments that we get every week are testimony to the impact that we're having so thanks very much to you most of all for being the most important element of the high performance story so far and we'll see you for another episode very soon hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.